are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Ezekiel 47 this morning, and we'll follow along as Donna shares this beautiful, stunning picture with us from Ezekiel's vision. The river from the temple. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From Engedi to Eglaim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Thank you, Donna. Well, I thought it would be fun this morning to tell you about how Ukrainians might answer our table question, what's your favorite body of water? It's a part of the world that not a lot of us know much about, and I certainly had never heard of this place before. Lake Sinevir is pretty much the unanimous conclusion as the Ukrainians' favorite body of water. It is in western Ukraine in the Carpathian Mountains. So I want you to imagine a high-altitude lake with crystal clear water that looks like a piece of blue glass laid out in the mountains. It is surrounded by Carpathian spruce trees that line the steep banks. There's a small wooden hotel along the shore, a recreation area, and plentiful trout. It is full of trout if you enjoy fishing. In the center of the lake is a small stone island that tells the legend of the lake's beginning. And I want to share that with you briefly. Many, many years ago in this area, there was a duke with a daughter named Sin, spelled S-Y-N. 
As the story goes, she was, of course, exceedingly beautiful and had these striking blue eyes. And she was her father's pride and joy, especially because his wife, her mother, had died in childbirth when Sin was born. Then one day, on a trip to the forest with her father, Sin suddenly heard through the trees the sound of a flute. And so she went to look, and she met a young man named Veer, who was a local shepherd and musician. Well, these two fell in love at first sight, and thereafter they would meet secretly because she knew that her father, the duke, would not approve of their relationship. The day finally came, though, and the duke did find out, and he ordered his servants to have Veer killed, which they did. They took a large boulder from the mountain and hurled it upon him. Sin was devastated as she found out this news. She rushed to the scene, and there she wept bitterly over the stone to the point that her tears filled the whole meadow, and a lake appeared, blue as her eyes and clear as her tears. And so that is how this lake was born, with the stone island in the middle, the lake was named after these unfortunate lovers, Sin and Vir, in Ukrainian, Sinnevir. Today you can find Vir's gravestone on the small island, and on the banks of the lake, there are a couple of statues, sculptures of this couple. But they say to beware if you're a tourist and you're traveling to this area, because there's another local legend that says there is a werewolf who guards the nearby forest. So the Carpathian Mountains full of mystery and lore. But there's something about water that draws all of us to it, regardless of country and culture, and this passage today is no exception. Ezekiel 47 continues this vision that we started to look at last week. Last week we saw the presence of the Lord returning to the restored temple, and now we're going to see water flowing out from that temple, a life-giving river of water. The Bible says in other places that you and I are in need of this life-giving water. And I wonder where you might be feeling very acutely right now in your life right now, the need for life-giving water. Where are you in need of this water that can heal and restore? We're going to consider those kinds of questions in a very personal application out of the text, but we'll also consider that this is telling a much bigger story than our individual lives, and this vision is indeed telling the story of when Jesus will return one day and restore not just my life or yours, but all of creation. So first things first, let's look at some of the content of this vision, and I'll remind us at the outset that this scene is part of a much bigger block of text from chapter 40 to 48, the largest recorded vision in the Bible outside the book of Revelation. And when we started it last week, we started it with this heavenly messenger giving Ezekiel a tour of the temple, the new temple. And the greatest moment by far was when Ezekiel got to see the glory of God, which we defined as the visible presence of God returning to the temple. As we take in this fantastic picture, let's remind ourselves the people of Israel here are in exile. A thousand miles away from home, Ezekiel's one of them. Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple burned to the ground. And so for Ezekiel to receive this kind of vision that he sees in these chapters, 
the temple restored even grander than before, that would have been the greatest thing he could ever see or hear. The presence of God returning to be with his people. So we talked a lot last week about the presence of God and what it means that God dwelled with his people in the temple. And this week now is going to build on that theme, but in a new way. So let's look at chapter 47 as we have it open in front of us. Verse 1, and we'll just kind of spot check a few of these verses together. Verse 1, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. So again, this unnamed man is a heavenly tour guide, we might say. And the vision now is of water coming out from the temple, pooling and running down from the stone threshold, that stone slab that would have been under the doorway. Almost like someone left the water on and then was gone on a week's vacation or something like that. Every homeowner's worst nightmare, right? So the the water is now trickling out the door of the building. But it's just a trickle at this point. It says at the end of verse 2, and the water was trickling from the south side. And that Hebrew word trickling is, I think Katie shared this with us too a couple weeks back. This is what they call an onomatopoeia. Remember that word from school? It is a word that is supposed to sound like what it means. And this word describes the sound of liquid gurgling out of a flask. And the Hebrew word is pak, P-A-K. So, you know, maybe picture what this would sound like as that water comes out of the bottle. I tried this out, actually out loud in my study this week, and I just kept sounding like a chicken when I did it. Pak, 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 pak. So I don't know. But in Hebrew, that's what they thought it sounded like. So water's trickling out of the temple, and yet it doesn't stay a trickle at all. Ezekiel and his tour guide, who we said last week is also a surveyor, we remember his measuring tools he had last week, well, they follow the water, kind of follow the trail as it runs east out of the temple. A thousand cubits at a time. The cubit itself is about 18 inches, so you do the math. I think a thousand cubits would be about 1,500 feet. And we see this progression as they take measurements. From a trickle, it becomes, in verse 3, ankle deep, then knee deep, then up to the waist, and finally a river, Ezekiel says, that I could not cross. I grew up in Hudson, Wisconsin, and you know how 94 crosses over just this huge part of the river there. And honestly, if somebody told me that I had to swim from Hudson over to the Minnesota shore, I'd probably be a little bit nervous about it. It would have been at least that big a cross. And it's an amazing sight. The surveyor asks him, Son of man, do you see this? In our translation... In your blue Bible, it's punctuated with a question mark. But commentators say that the feel of it would have been an exclamation point. It reminded me of my little nephew who, when he was opening birthday presents, he'd get the wrapping paper off and he would see the toy and he would say, What? 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 And he was not asking a question. (laughs) This is an exclamation point. And by the way, keep in mind as we take in this imagery that this is a vision that God gives to Ezekiel. So the point is not that everything would follow some realistic outline. You know, a trickle of water does not grow into an enormous river within a few thousand cubits. 
And we'll see other extraordinary pictures that come as we keep going. But a vision is given by God to convey deeper meaning that God wants Ezekiel and his people and you and I to understand. So let's keep going. Second half of verse 6. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Now you and I, we see rivers and lakes and trees all the time. But I want you to remember what part of the world this story and this vision is taking place in. This is in Israel. And he's having the vision in Babylon, which is really no better. This part of the world, water was sparse in many places, and so were the trees. I remember flying to California for the first time and seeing all of these palm trees that I'd only heard about in books and fairy tales. And as a Minnesota kid, you're looking out the window of the plane saying, palm trees, who has these just out and about like this? He was experiencing something altogether new. For Ezekiel, a river with a great number of trees on its banks would have certainly caught his attention. And now listen to how the tour guide describes it in verse 8. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. The Arabah is the southern region of Israel that really flows down then into the desert. The Dead Sea is, of course, a major landmark in southern Israel, and it is unparalleled in some of its attributes. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on the surface of the entire earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. And to put this into comparison for us, Miami is about six feet above sea level. 1,300 feet below was the Dead Sea. And of particular relevance to this passage, the Dead Sea has a salinity, a saltiness of around 30%. Have you ever swam in the ocean, swam in, in salt water, and you get a mouthful of salt water when you're out there? It's a terrible taste. And yet the Dead Sea is six times saltier than the ocean. How does that happen? Well, a variety of factors. The feeder streams that flow into the Dead Sea are coming out of sulfur springs. Another factor, there is no outlet to the Dead Sea, meaning all of those minerals and things that are flowing just get trapped in the Dead Sea. Third factor, it is a very hot and dry desert atmosphere. And the water just gets loaded up with sodium and magnesium and calcium and potassium. So what do all of these factors lead to? It means this. The Dead Sea is virtually devoid of life. So when Ezekiel sees a trickle of water from the temple that grows into a river that turns the Dead Sea into fresh water, he's describing a miracle. Something that only God could do. And you might as well imagine the surface of the moon turning into Palm Springs for some kind of comparison. Now, remember this, because we're going to come back to this concept in our application, but let's continue on a few more verses. The tour guide says in verse 9, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. 
So, remember when the Bible repeats things, saying this is important, where the river flows, everything will live. Now this sounds, as we take those words in, very familiar from the earliest part of the Bible, doesn't it? Certainly Ezekiel would have been making the connection. This sounds like creation. Swarms of living creatures. God filling the sea with fish. Even the presence of the river. Genesis 2.10 says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And wherever this river flows in Ezekiel 47, what do we see? doesn't matter if it is the most dead place on earth. There is abundant life. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, normally, the idea of fishing in the Dead Sea would be absolutely absurd. Like, if you were to show up at the Y, scan your membership card, and immediately go to the pool with your fishing pole and cast a line. That would probably gather a lot of attention here at the Y if you did something like that. Absolutely crazy to fish the Dead Sea. What on earth are they doing? What a different picture now we get in Ezekiel 47. Fishermen spreading their nets. And the commentators say this is like a word picture of blessing. Fishermen spreading their nets means blessing. Men, if your wives ever wonder if you are fishing too much, just say It's biblical, honey. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. (laughs) The variety of fish, it says, will rival even the Mediterranean Sea. They're fishing up and down the coast from Engedi to En Eglaim. In just a few weeks, there's about 30 of us. We didn't know these past months, is this trip going to happen or not, holding our breath. But about 30 of us from the Y Church are actually going to go and visit En Gedi from this very passage on the coast of the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful oasis with Israel's tallest natural waterfall. One thing we will not be doing at the Dead Sea is fishing, right? Because you don't do that. But they do in Ezekiel 47. Then verse 11, this is an interesting one. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Now initially we might think that that's like an unfortunate detail. That not every square inch of the Dead Sea will be transformed. But this is actually a very positive statement. The swamps and marshes are reserved for stagnant, salty water. Why? Because the salt and minerals were so incredibly valuable. And they still are today. Dead Sea salts and minerals are sought after around the world. And so here we see God leaving, preserving an area for these things to still be produced for the benefit of his people. And that brings us to our final verse of the vision. At least the portion that we have time for today. Verse 12. We're back to the river for the big finish. It says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Twelve verses in. What is the point of this vision? You know, I didn't want you to show up and feel like you just 
attended a lecture about a piece of artwork. It's not just painting a beautiful picture. It's not even really about the water, but it is about the source of this life-giving water. It flows from the sanctuary of the temple, meaning life-giving water flows from the presence of God. And we could search the scriptures and study for a whole year or more passages just about water and the presence of God. We don't have time to do that, but there's two I want to show you this morning. I've selected these two because they speak both to the future reality of what Ezekiel sees, but also how we can experience this now in the present. The first one I'll share with you is is about the future. Certainly we hear the connection to the end of the story in Revelation. Isn't it awesome that God gives us a sneak peek of the end? That we get to live in light of the knowledge of how this story ends. The fact that God wins and will one day restore all of creation back to its proper order. Listen to how similar Ezekiel 47 is to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The present geopolitical rumblings are a reminder that all of creation is groaning for its redemption. Russia and Ukraine are just the latest example in this sad saga of human history fallen away from God. Power, corruption, control, these are the things that we will see pop up again and again in our story. There is a disease in the human heart that only the leaves of the tree of life can heal. Ezekiel, his vision is of the finish line when God comes to restore all creation and we'll live with him finally in everlasting peace. A new heaven and a new earth. Everything put to right. Every beautiful thing restored. The tears of sin. Remember her from the beginning of the message? S-Y-N. The tears of sin. Every tear wiped away. There will be no more death, it says in Revelation, or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away God says, behold, I am making all things new. So that's the future vision. And yet, Ezekiel does not just see things for the future. There is a present promise spoken into these words. And the second passage that I want to share with you is from the Gospel of John. In John 4, Jesus is resting by a well where he meets a Samaritan woman. She is a woman of ill repute. Her life looks like the shambles of a ruined city or the desolate banks of the Dead Sea. But Jesus, in her, sees a beautiful daughter of God who has simply lost her way. He sees in her someone who needs a drink of life-giving water. In John 4.13, he says to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the water in the well. 
But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is life-giving water available to us now. Not just at the end of the story in Revelation. You don't have to wait and hold out till kingdom come to take in the life-giving water that Jesus came to give you. The presence of God is here now in Christ. Your life can feel like it's in shambles. You can even be dying of disease and yet flourishing with life that comes from the presence of God with you. So what do we learn from Ezekiel 47? Let me summarize it with three statements as we close. Number one, where the presence of God is, there is life. Number two, where things are dead, God will bring back to life. And number three, where the presence of God is, he will nourish and heal. God's presence brings life and restores all creation to glory. Let me close with this invitation that Jesus gives to us a little later in John's Gospel. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, in a loud voice, because he meant business, and he wanted all of us to hear this invitation. He said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. That invitation, my friends, is for you. It's for you and your children and grandchildren. It's for me that this vision would be fulfilled in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we quiet our hearts and our minds before you now. And we just reflect, Lord, for each of us where we have felt very thirsty, dry and parched in our life. Lord, across this church family, those who have wandered into the gym this morning. You know the things, Lord, that leave us empty, that leave us in despair, the things that have us overwhelmed or just confused, listless, restless. Lord, for our students, maybe something that's going on at school or on our sports team or our friendship circle. Lord, some of us facing something at work or in our family life. Lord, some of us feeling uh, the death and the pressing of disease upon our bodies, upon these old bones. So Lord, we would like to just respond to this invitation this morning by the power of your spirit that compels us to receive life-giving water from you. to experience your presence in our daily life, not just in a Sunday church service. 
but Lord, to know that you go with us into this new week, that you will sustain, you will nourish, you will heal on this earth or the next. Lord, hear our prayers this morning. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.